We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. A Mark McGuire home run was always something special. They are very deep. They play him to full. Traxel winds and fires. Big Mac. Swing and a shot into the corner. It might make it. There it is. 62, folks. It just got over the left field wall in the corner. And we have a new home run champion. A new assault of SWAT. It's Mark McGuire. He touches them all. Unbelievable. He hugs Gaetti as he comes around. He's pointing to the crowd. He's saluting the entire team at home plate. He gets a hug. He gets a hug from the catcher service. He picks up his youngster. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'll just let you listen, folks. He's mobbed. He's mobbed at home plate. Just mobbed by his teammates. They come out of the bullpen. Confetti fireworks. He did a line drive that got about a foot over the left field wall. 62 home runs. A new, a new home run champion, Mark McGuire. Way to go, Mac. Crack of the bat, the roar of the crowd, a call by Mike Shannon. In this case, it was a very special homer, a record breaker, ending Roger Maris's reign as home run champ two decades ago. Our Rachel Lippman sets the stage. Yeah, so 20 years ago tomorrow, on September 8th, 1998, uh, Mark McGuire hit his 62nd home run of the season off of, ironically enough, Steve Traxel of the Chicago Cubs. Seems like the Cubs and the Cardinals are sort of always at each other in the same place at the same time for magical things. And this was not one of, you know, McGuire's majestic moonshots. This was not one where you sit there and fans are out of their seats the instant this goes off the back bat. It was actually one of his shortest home runs of the season. Barely clears the left field line, barely but left field wall, barely sneaks inside the the foul pole. This is one of those, you know, is this going to go? Is this actually going to happen? Or is the is the left fielder going to end up catching this? An awful lot of people were there that night because sure. everyone was anticipating, wanted to be at the game where they this would happen. Well, I mean, I remember back when you could still use the straight A tickets for Cardinals Cubs games before they kind of limited it to, you know, games where they can't upsell the tickets. I had friends who had just either randomly or luckily or maybe strategically gotten tickets to this game and they're like, oh, yeah, I saw 62 in person. I'm going, really? Really? But yeah, I mean, it, they were selling out as you got closer to that Labor Day weekend, all of the games. Everybody was hoping that they would catch the ball that broke the record. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I think it ended up being a groundskeeper who picked it up because of where the home run went. It just sort yeah. of, you know, fell over the wall, basically. You talked to people who were there. I did. What, what kind of reactions were they giving you 20 years later? So I talked to uh, one fan named Jake Lampert, who had managed to get a, an internship in the Cardinals press office during that summer. And that had resulted in him getting 
getting a press pass that gave him access to the park for home runs 59, 60, 61, and 62. He saw 60, 61, and 62 in person. And he just remembers it being chaos. He says he couldn't see where the ball landed. Mm -hmm. He was so low, he didn't get to see it go over the fence. All he saw was the umpire doing the little, you know, hey, circle the bases and just complete pandemonium. And, And he still remembers that summer fondly. He is a, you know, one of those, like, lifelong Cardinals fans, collected baseball tickets or baseball uh, cards all of his life. And even now, even though there is this kind of it was the steroid era taint to the season for some people, he still looks back at it fondly. He goes, it was still fun. It doesn't take away from the fact that these were two guys in a friendly, good-natured rivalry that really did revitalize baseball after the 1994 lockout and and for the St. Louis Cardinals, too. I mean, they were on the verge of missing the playoffs for, I think it was the ninth time in 11 seasons, if you don't count 1994, because there were no... um, there was no postseason at that point, and they're still pushing three million in attendance. And you're talking, of course, of the rivalry between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa yeah. of the Cubs. Of the Cubs, and of that, course. Uh, Again, the Cubs that, always kind of seem to be in these scenarios here. That that was an exciting season, but you point out the performance enhancing drug aspect. Of yeah, the story. that that's a big part of the story too, because not everybody was totally thrilled with the uh, with the sixty second home run. No, I mean there there had been questions raised starting in August of that year, first by an Associated Press writer named Steve Weilstein, who had looked into McGuire's locker and noticed a a bottle of a supplement with a name he didn't recognize, and that supplement was Androstenedione. It was something that was legal to be used in baseball. There was no banned substance for it, but it had been banned in other sports, the Olympics, NCAA, other, uh, other places had banned it because it was basically sort of a a precursor kind of steroid. It wasn't actually a steroid, but could act a lot like a steroid. And a lot of people just sort of blew it off. Like, you know what? It's legal. He still has to hit the home run. Who cares? It wasn't until sort of 2005, after Jose Canseco's book came out about that era, where he's basically saying, yeah, we were going in the bathroom and using syringes and shooting each other up. And McGuire and Canseco had played on the same Oakland Athletics teams. That's how McGuire sort of got drawn into this whole story. He denied in 2005 in front of Congress, or didn't really deny. He didn't answer the question. He basically said, I am not answering these at the advice of my attorney. And then in 2010, uh, after he just before he rejoined the Cardinals as a hitting coach after his retirement, eventually admitted to, yes, he had been using steroids through his career, including in the summer of 1998. You know, I think that congressional testimony hurt him as much as anything. I mean, people really just... Sat uh, sat back and shook their heads when he uh, when he testified that way. Right, like you know, I'm not here to talk about the past. I'm here yeah, to go exactly. on. And I watched some of the C-SPAN, of course, has the clips, and I watched some of it. And they're trying to give him, you know, outs to to say mm-hmm. something. But he was worried that subpoenas were going to come to him, that it was going to jeopardize family, friends, etc. He didn't feel, for whatever reason, like he was in a place to to be able to answer the questions. Then you can judge, you know that decision. But it was obvious that he wasn't being entirely truthful, forthcoming, etc. with what he was saying. And of course, the Hall of Fame, I'm sure he had that in the back of his mind. And that still remains an issue. Well, he is no longer eligible for being voted into the Hall of Fame by the baseball writers, the, what you hear about the Hall of Fame balloting. Um, they changed the rules a little while ago to say that it's only you're only eligible for 10 years after retirement. So that eligibility uh, finished in 2016 for him. There is the sort of second chance 
committees that say, let's take into account the different eras in baseball, mm-hmm. because performance enhancing drugs aren't new in baseball. Um, as Jeff Gordon, the writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, I talked to him, as he put it, in the 1960s, it's amphetamines, it's cortisone shots. You have the legend of, I think it's a Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher throwing a no-hitter on LSD. Mm-hmm. There's cocaine. There's always these things floating around in baseball. And if you're going to start stripping records from every era, what are you left with? And, you know, that's one take on it. There are many, many different takes on it that, you know, especially steroids are so important to home runs. How many home runs would he have been able to, some of those, you know, that squeak over the wall that Mm might have been long fly ball outs without steroids that, you know, that makes sense is a question in terms of home runs are about power, and steroids do help add power. In your story, I, I guess uh, uh, at least one person said they wished that uh, Stan Musial or uh, Red Shandings had broken the record because they well, were clean. So, no, what, what <laughs> she said was this was more it didn't feel to her as the cardinal way. You know, you wouldn't have heard Stan Musial or Red Shandings, you know, taking these performance-enhancing drugs. And again, we don't know. Okay. And both of these gentlemen are now dead. There's no way for them to defend their record. But it's not as though that the era they were playing in in the 1950s and 60s was, you know, perfectly clean kind of thing. And as Jeff Gordon put it, if you think in today's world that players are just eating their Wheaties and drinking their milk and going out there and giving it their best, as he put it, and this is this is me quoting him, you're a moron. Players are always going to find what gives them the edge next. And who knows what this era is going to be considered? You know, I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem to me like it was 20 years ago. I know. <laughs> I, I don't. It was it, 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 it is and it isn't. I mean, you you watch the video clips of it, and it's you know you you know that it's the old Bush Stadium. Um, the scoreboard is just the the yellow and black sort of. It's not digital. I don't even know what you would call the old analog. I guess analog scoreboard where it's just you know the yellow lights on the black uh, the black background. But no, it was twenty years ago, September eighth, nineteen ninety eight. And it, it may have been, been the season that saved baseball in a way, and definitely saved the the, the Cardinals. I mean. I, I can remember going to games, and if you were there in the seventh or eighth inning, and you looked at the scorecard, and you looked at you know the mm-hmm. the batting order, and McGuire wasn't batting again, you were gone. You left. Thanks, Rachel. Of course. Thanks to Rachel Lipman for helping us remember Mark McGuire's record-setting home run twenty years ago tomorrow, and thanks to the Cardinals Radio Network for the audio. Podcast episodes of St. Louis on the Air are available at stlpublicradio.org, or you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, the new Google Podcast app, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hemphill with production assistance from Aaron Dorr, Charlie McDonald, and Caitlin Lally. The executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.